The views and opinions expressed on this show are purely the views and opinions of the person who made them and do not necessarily reflect or agree with those of the show's commercial sponsors, its radio station affiliates, or Internet broadcast platforms. As the restriction on our God-given right to free speech manifests itself throughout the world, we are inspired by Jesus Christ's immortal words, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we reserve the rights to all our words. Thank you, and now enjoy the show. Learn who rules over you, simply find out who you're not allowed to criticize. You are listening to ACH, I'm Andy, your host. And before I start today's show, I would like to thank JMB for his recent donation. I can only keep this show on the air through donations or book sales, so if you're able to buy a book or support this show financially, please go to andrewcarringtonhitchcock.com and you will find details of how you can do that there. Now today I'm delighted to have my good friend joining me, Dr Peter Hammond from South Africa. He continues to put out fantastic work and he's been very much on the ball with regard to what's happening around the world because these really are unprecedented times. So today he's got a presentation for us entitled The Real Agenda Behind Revolutionaries. So I'm going to bring him up right now. Peter, are you with me? I am. Thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. Great to have you on board and I'm really looking forward to this one as I do all uh, the shows that you do. So where would you like to start us off today? Well, it's so important that we understand revolution and understand revolutionaries because it seems so many people today and we're not just talking about the people in the streets but of course university professors lecturers teachers uh, journalists so many including in parliament seem entranced by the deceptive promises of communism it's absolutely vital that we look again at what revolution is what communism is why so many rose up in resistance against it because it's over 30 years ago that the iron curtain fell and that the berlin wall came down and the soviet satellites broke free and the soviet union collapsed and the world rejoiced in a new birth of freedom uh, yet today there's an entire generation who are apparently ignorant that they're being lied to and they're being used and manipulated to advance a failed and evil system under the delusion that they're working for a better and more just world and those of us who fought against communism during the Cold War need to remind the younger generation of the reality which destroys the modern propaganda narrative being taught on so many university campuses and broadcast under the guise of news. It's more like views and propaganda in many cases on the mainstream, lamestream media. The fact is communism is the most malicious, destructive system in the history of mankind. Now, God's covenant people have beaten it before, and we must defeat communism again. And right now, I look at what's going on in the news, and it all makes sense to me because I've lived through three revolutions. I was brought up in Rhodesia, what today is communist Zimbabwe. I've gone through the war for Southwest Africa and the betrayal of Southwest Africa to Namibia through the revolution in South Africa, the betrayal of South Africa. And I've been involved in eight wars and traveled in 42 countries, uh, worked in 38 countries. And I really feel this is so clear. I, I can see what's going on. I can see why it's going on. I can see what motivates the people. I can see why they are doing what they're doing. But it's obvious to me that the bulk of people out there, including the churches and the pastors, don't understand. Why are our leaders so silent? And we're not just talking about the political leaders, but in many cases, the spiritual leaders too. In many cases, they're not just silent, they're AWOL, absent without leave. In many cases, they're deserting from the fight or giving aid and comfort to the enemies of the gospel, to the socialists, the communists, the atheists. And uh, to see the craven cowardice, the deserters and the traitors 
in all too many pulpits who should be giving a clear carrion call from the pulpit, sounding the trumpet, alerting people who will rise up for me against the wicked, who will make a stand for me against the workers of iniquity, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. And yet what we are seeing is socialism, the creed of failure, the gospel of envy. And we're seeing communism again, being pushed a gospel of hate, a gospel of intolerance. And so many are being lied to, so many are being manipulated, and these deceived and deluded destroyers in the streets are doomed to destruction. If they knew how revolutions work, if they understood the French Revolution, the Bolshevik Revolution, all the other revolutions that have followed, they will understand they are just expendable cannon fodder for the revolution. They are being used, they are being abused, they are being manipulated, and they will get it in the neck because the way Marxists work is they never trust the revolutionaries that they've used to bring about the revolution, as we mentioned in the last week's presentation, uh, that those people, whether we're talking about Antifa, Black Lives Matter, BLM, all these characters, they don't seem to realize that the ones who are using them as expendable cannon fodder for the revolution, as the foot soldiers for the revolution, they don't care about the issue. The issue is never the issue. The issue is the revolution. And you can see this if you look at the revolutions. Now, there's some very good, outstanding books out there that uh, I have gone through that have helped me make sense of the revolutions. And one of them is Otto Scott's Robespierre. I've got it right in front of me. Robespierre, Inside the French Revolution. This is the very best book I've ever read on not only the French Revolution, but on revolution full stop. Uh, Robespierre, Inside the French Revolution, written by Otto Scott, is the best expose of what led up to that cataclysmic event and what really took place during that disastrous revolution. Reading this extraordinary book enables one to understand the revolutionary forces arrayed against Christian civilization today. It's uncanny, the similarities that you can immediately recognize to see what, what is happening in our streets, in our media, in our education, in our entertainment, in our churches, in our government. And uh, when I look at what is going on in the streets, I just have to think back immediately. But every revolution is like this. And uh, take, for example, the fact that coming up soon, next week, they're going to celebrate Bastille Day, 14th of July. And uh, this Bastille Day is nothing really to celebrate. It's, uh, it's built on a lie, as all revolutions are. Uh, apparently, the Bastille was meant to house political prisoners. There wasn't one political prisoner in the whole place. Uh, in fact, the, the Bastille was a very old, um, way past its sell-by date. It was um, uh, no longer a very effective uh, in an age of gunpowder. It was a medieval uh, fortress that um, wouldn't have managed to stand long against artillery. It, it was designed for days of bows and arrows and so on. So um, it, it wasn't a very important uh, a fort, but it was a symbol. And a lot of legends grown out of this event, but there's no political prisoners in the Bastille. And the fact is, Lieutenant Governor of the Bastille, D.M. Delaunay, was guaranteed safe conduct. And he surrendered his fortress under a white flag of truce and guarantee of safe conduct. And immediately he was massacred along with his soldiers and the heads were cut off and carried on spikes through the streets. And as body parts of the defenders of the Bastille were paraded through the streets and people danced around them, a mere seven common criminals were found in the Bastille, seven prisoners, no political prisoners at all. But what they were were thousands of muskets, uh, which were uh, used was quite an, an arsenal, uh, a storeroom of weaponry. And uh, uh, so that was the real importance of the Bastille. It wasn't those seven common criminals in there. Uh, it was the uh, the weaponry that they could obtain. And uh, today, they have Bastille Day as a national holiday in France, as big parades, and they act like it was something good and wonderful. Well, in South Africa, we have Youth Day or Soweto Day, 16th of June, which we've just passed, which they've built a lot of mystique about it. But in fact, as missionaries at the time documented in the book that we've just recently published again as, as a free ebook, the um, Soweto, but God book, uh, it documents that, in fact, 
it was a Marxist revolution and it was an anti-Christian revolution. And they immediately started to, uh, they killed missionaries. They cooked and ate some Catholic missionary on the sidewalk in Soweto that day. They attacked churches. They attacked the homes of Christians. They attacked the homes of pastors. They burned churches. And right from the beginning, as the missionaries and the Christians in Soweto documented that 16 of June in 1976 was an anti-Christian revolution. They said it, it was a spirit of evil. It was a time of madness. And there was vast amount of destruction. And yet today, uh, it's a public holiday, and it's put in a glamorized, mythical, legendary type of focus that you look at this as a, it's just wonderful and great and tremendous and heroic, whereas it was nothing of the sort. It, it was vile and violent, and uh, it was brutal and savage, and there was a lot of destruction. And there were children attacking parents. There were children attacking their own mothers with knives. Uh, the, the, the hysteria and the violence that uh, spilled out there was well organized. And in fact, as the Soviet Union's president even boasted that the Soweto uprising, as they called it, on uh, 16 June 1976, was uh, the result of years of hard work by the Communist Party of the Soviet Union and the African National Congress allies in South Africa, and that this was a triumph of Soviet espionage and agents of influence overseas. So that was even boasted of in an official visit to Dar es Salaam in Tanzania, where the Soviet premier boasted that what had happened to Soweto in 1976 on the 16th of June was the result of communist work from the Soviet Union, and he credits it as KGB and so on with it. So, uh, but that's a public holiday. Now, if the revolutionaries attain their goals, God forbid that they do, but if the revolutionaries in the streets of the United States attain their goals and transform America into a socialist, communist, utopia, union of Soviet socialist republics of America, or whatever they want to call it, uh, uh, you will see that they will take the date in which uh, their martyr, uh, their new saint, BLM martyr and saint, uh, George Floyd died, and they will make the national holiday, and they will have parades and speeches, and it'll be transformed out of all resemblance from the reality. It really is. Uh, and th this is how revolutions work. This is how revolutions advance. And you've got to see what are they actually demanding, because uh, Karl Marx's manifesto of 1848 makes it clear that their goal, number one, abolition of all property rights, abolition of private property, through application of rents and taxes rates to the state, heavy progressive graduate income tax to confiscate earnings to basically steal from those who produce and give to those who did not, uh, the abolition of all rights of inheritance by taxing inheritance initially and then ultimately doing away with any chance that anyone can inherit, the state gets any inheritance, so a righteous man does not lay up an inheritance for his children or grandchildren, as the Bible says. But according to Marxism, uh, their uh, main goal is to abolish all chances of inheritance. The confiscation of the property of all rebels to the state. Of course, they control all land, and they'll make sure that those who don't uh, adhere to the politically correct line lose their property. Centralization of all credit and national bank with an exclusive monopoly on money supply. They've actually got quite a bit of that already, as Stephen Midford Goodson points out in A History of Central Banking and the Enslavement of Mankind. Centralization of all means of communication and transportation in the hands of the state. Factories and instruments of production must be owned by the state. All wilderness areas must be nationalized and controlled by the state. Everyone must be put to work by the state. Establishment of industrial armies, especially for agriculture, controlled by the state, state collectives and so on. Decoolicization. Combination of agriculture with manufacturing industries, gradual abolition of all the distinction between town and country, no private farms, no private homes, everyone is controlled by the state and where they live and how they move. Free and compulsory education for all children's state schools, all teachers to be trained and certified by the state, all schools to be certified and authorized only by the state, all textbooks to be written and to be approved and licensed by the state. All students must receive state education. And so uh, this is the goal according to Karl Marx, and you know that BLM and Antifa have described themselves as Marxist, as socialist, as communist, 
and they've got the clenched fist salute, they've got the red flags, they've got the hammers and sickles, the whole deal. And so that's part of their goal. But BLM goes further than that. They are talking about abolition of the nuclear family. They're talking about uh, transgenderism, the abolition of heteronormative thinking, and uh, to create a queer-affirming society, uh, which is promoting transgenderism. So the goals here go way past what many people think. You know, when you hear the French Revolution slogan of liberty, equality, egalitaire, liberty, equality, fraternity, that sounds quite good, liberty, equality, brotherhood, some translated, but that's not the whole statement. The whole statement was liberty, equality, fraternity, morte, liberty, equality, fraternity, or death. That was the slogan of the French Revolution. And they meant it because those who were politically incorrect were arrested. Entire uh, classes of people were declared politically incorrect and were declared uh, irredeemably evil, which is the bourgeois, the middle class, and of course the nobles and the clergy. And so entire classes of people were uh, deemed as politically incorrect and were to be targeted. They were arrested, they were imprisoned, and they were slaughtered. Now, uh, one of the things that, that came along with all this was they wanted the abolition of the state police. And the state police were abolished, but that didn't mean that there was no police, because the moment they abolished the state police, what they replaced with? Well, their own police. And you had the reign of terror. They called it the Directorate of Public Safety. That's what Robespierre called it, the Directorate of Public Safety. How nice. Uh, I mean, who can object to the director of public safety? But the director of public safety ran the, the Red Terror. Uh, the reign of terror was run by the director of public safety, who had 40,000 people guillotined, which include two-thirds of whom were common people. So the idea that, oh, it was just nobles or bourgeois people ending up in the guillotine, actually not so, as uh, Charles Dickens in his Tale of Two Cities book uh, documents there, how it included some seamstress, some peasant girl who she's, she's saying, you know, what have I done? Why am I here? What well, doesn't matter. Two thirds of the people end up in the guilt team were common people with absolutely no link to the nobility. Or So even this, we're only targeting the bourgeois, though everyone is middle class or any nobles or any church people deserve to be uh, guillotined to lose their head. Uh, but in fact, two thirds of people who were guillotined were just common peasant people. And there were another 300,000 killed by massacres, um, by either mass drownings or by shootings, firing squads and so on. But to be honest, nobody knows because they lost track. They didn't even bother to keep count. And at the beginning of the French Revolution, France was a country of 28 million. Now, France was the superpower of its age. It was the greatest country in the world. It was the most powerful economic military power in the world. It had the greatest population in all of Europe. And so France was very much occupying the position that, that the United States does today. So, so the French um, uh, state in, in 1789 uh, was at the epicenter. It, it, it was the epicenter of power in Europe in many ways. And so the revolutionaries, uh, prime amongst them Robespierre, spoke about, you know, we can't uh, control a country of 28 million. 20 million have to go. We're going to have to kill 20 million people. And that was their serious discussion. Now, there was some dis debate between uh, 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 the uh, different people like Marat and Danton and Robespierre. They, they were arguing, you know, uh, maybe we should only kill 14 million, uh, perhaps 18 million. Uh, they finally settled on, look, 20 million uh, would be best because there's so many counter-revolutionaries, reactionaries, people who, who won't respond, who are just irredeemably evil and stuck in the old ways. We can manage to control about 8 million people, but uh, you know, 20 million have to go. So the population of 28 million needs to be reduced down to 8 million. And this was absolutely seriously discussed. And uh, this is actually typical of revolutions, like in the Bolshevik Revolution and the revolution in China, the same thing. We have to get rid of millions of surplus population. You can't control a whole population. Re-education camps, concentration camps can only go so far. A certain amount can be worked to death as slave labor, fair enough. Uh, but there's still, there's just too many people. We can't control it all. And so every revolution plans to kill many. 
And what the foot soldiers of the revolution and the cannon fodder uh, out there who are fighting for the revolution of streets don't realize is they're amongst the first to go. As it was in the Bolshevik revolution uh, in the Soviet Union, uh, not only were the revolutionaries all wiped out, there's, there's, I've got some books and pictures right here where you've got the Politburo back in 1917, and then they go through all the ones that were killed, executed, and so on, or a few died of natural causes. And uh, now most people would be surprised to know that Stalin wasn't part of it in 1917. Uh, he sort of came in late. He wasn't part of the real major uh, amount of fighting. In fact, uh, Stalin was a, a nothing nobody really in the early days of the revolution. And uh, intriguingly, um, there's a, a there's a, a montage of the Politburo in 1918, where Stalin is the only one still alive 20 years later. Every other one, you know, executed, 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 murdered, assassinated, and so on and so forth, a few natural causes. But there's this montage of something like 24 people, um, of which Stalin was the only one remaining. And at that stage, the person who put together that collage uh, was Leon Trotsky, and he was living in exile in uh, Mexico City, and shortly after that, he got murdered anyway by uh, the NKVD, which today is known as the KGB. And uh, Leon Trotsky was the hero of the revolution. He was the head of the Red Army. Interestingly, Leon Trotsky had been exiled by uh, the Tsar, and he was living in the Bronx in New York. When the Bolshevik Revolution occurred, um, uh, initially, uh, the, actually the Menshevik Revolution uh, back uh, under Kerensky, when that occurred uh, in 1917, October Revolution, so-called, uh, he was uh, in the Bronx in New York, and he immediately booked on the boat, and he brought a whole lot of fellow Jews in New York with him, and they formed the core of the Red Army Command for the uh, Civil War, uh, which waged for years. And so Trotsky was the one who actually uh, brought about military victory, if you can use that word for massacres, uh, to the Bolshevik forces. And Stalin had nothing to do with it. But as soon as Trotsky had secured the revolution uh, and defeated or murdered all the potential opposition or driven them into exile, then Stalin got rid of him even. And uh, so it was. All of the top leaders of the uh, Cheka or the NKVD, including Berea, he was also shot. Uh, uh, Stalin's number one henchman, y Yagoda, and uh, also shot. And Stalin had one after the other of his top um, heads of the uh, K of the NKVD uh, murdered or, or executed. And uh, Baharin and so many top, top people. The Bolshevik revolution became very cannibalistic and they wiped out many of their best people. And so did um, uh, Robespierre in the French Revolution. The French revolutionaries started to work their way through, wiping out one after the other of their own people. And uh, uh, it was extraordinary that in the end, dear old Robespierre uh, reaped what he had sown, because on the 27th of July, 1794, Robespierre and 20 other of his henchmen were seized and executed by the survivors of the convention. And... Uh, put on the same guillotine that he had put so many others on. And even Madame Roland, who had been uh, the sort of the, the uh, inspiration for Madame Defarge in uh, Tale of Two Cities, you know, the one who's crocheting and, uh, and knitting away and, and uh, cheering uh, for the people to have their heads chopped off and sneeze into the basket, basket and all that. Well, Madame Roland was also ushered up the platform to be guillotined. And as she faced the statue of the goddess Liberty, she cried out, Oh, liberty, liberty, what crimes are committed in thy name? Well, she should know. She had committed most of them herself. She had been uh, the willing execution of how many others? Danton, who at one time was the leader of the revolutionaries, executed 5th of April, 1794. And so time and again, you can see this is how revolutions work. The French Revolution was the prototype. It was the gold standard. And as is documented by Otto Scott and Robespierre inside the French Revolution, the French Revolution was the prototype for every revolution. The Bolshevik Revolution in Russia, the Chinese Revolution under Mao, the Cuban Revolution under Mao Zedong, the Cambodian Revolution under Pol Pot, the Vietnamese Revolution, the Ethiopian Revolution of Mengistu, the Mozambican Revolution under, Mao, uh, under uh, Samora Michel, the Angolan Revolution of Agostino Neto, 
the Zimbabwean revolution under Robert Mugabe, and so many others. And it's also the inspiration for BLM and Antifa, who are burning, destroying, and pulling down monuments and statues right now in the United States of America, or trying to in Great Britain. So 2 Peter 2 verse 19 says, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. And uh, it's, it's intriguing for us to look at these previous revolutions, and it's vital. If we don't understand the revolutions that have gone before, then we won't understand the revolution going on now or the revolutionaries and what motivates them. And to understand the heart and soul of the revolution, uh, just consider some of the writings of Karl Marx. Karl Marx wrote in his uh, one poem, I wish to avenge myself against the one who rules above. I shall build my throne high overhead, cold, tremendous shall its summit be, for its bulwark superstitious dread, for its martial blackest agony. Written by Karl Marx. Karl Marx wrote, new gods will have to be installed. In fact, they are. Understand how all the heroes of your nation and of the United States need to be pulled down and replaced. New gods need to be installed. And even someone like Abraham Lincoln, who served the cause of the revolutionary so well, that Karl Marx and Abraham Lincoln exchanged letters and correspondence together. And interestingly enough, today you can go to communist Cuba and find there's Abraham Lincoln High School, Abraham Lincoln Boulevards and so on. Uh, Abraham Lincoln is, is a, a major patron saint of the Communist Party of the USA, uh, despite the fact that uh, he, uh, in many ways, um, launched a revolution in America. And, Many communists see Abraham Lincoln as a fellow communist. And I've even got a picture of Fidel Castro visiting the Abraham Lincoln Temple in Washington, D.C. And standing below them, he had, he had placed a wreath at the foot, and he's standing in, in absolute reverence. Looks like he's praying to Abraham Lincoln, actually. Uh, Fidel Castro, the revolutionary of Cuba. And so it is that I've also got pictures of Communist Party USA rallies, where they had, uh, back in 1930s, Massive, massive uh, picture of Abraham Lincoln and of Marx and of Lenin on each side, uh, just showing the way they thought. Uh, but even Abraham Lincoln's statues are being defaced and the revolutionaries are calling for his statues to be pulled down because he's kind of passed a sell-by date. New gods need to be installed. Here's a drama, Olenim, which is a bit of an inversion of Emmanuel, Olenim. Uh, Karl Marx wrote, the hellish vapors rise and fill the brain till I go mad and my heart is utterly changed see this sword he points his pen the prince of darkness sold it to me for me beats the time and gives the signs ever more boldly I play the dance of death and Karl Marx said everything in existence is worthy to be destroyed if there's something which devours I will leap within it Though I bring the world to ruins, the world which bulks between me and the abyss, I will smash to pieces with my enduring curses. Without violence, nothing is ever accomplished in history. Now I'm quoting word for word straight from Karl Marx. Here's another um, a quote from Karl Marx. Thus heaven I've forfeited, I know it full well. My soul, once true to God, is chosen for hell. In his poem, Human Pride, Karl Marx wrote, with disdain, I will throw my gauntlet full in the face of the world and see the collapse of this pygmy giant whose fall will not stifle my ardor. Then I will wander godlike and victorious through the ruins of the world and giving my vo words an active voice, I will feel equal to the creator. Karl Marx's best friend was Frederick Engels. Frederick Engels bailed him out many a time, paid for a lot of his things. Uh, Frederick Engels praised Karl Marx in these words. Karl Marx is a monster possessed by 10,000 devils. Now, that wasn't a criticism, that was a compliment. Frederick Engels said disapprovingly of his best friend, Karl Marx is a monster possessed by 10,000 devils. Robert Payne, a friend of Karl Marx wrote, Karl Marx had the devil's view of the world and the devil's malignancy, meaning malice. Sometimes he seemed to know that he was accomplishing the works of evil. So it's, extraordinary how many people today call themselves Christian socialists or Christian Marxists or Christian communists. Karl Marx wrote he wanted to hurl gigantic curses on mankind. And he said, our enemy is God. Hatred of God is the beginning of wisdom. So that's what Karl Marx said. 
hatred of God as a beginning of wisdom. Obviously, he's taking the fear of God as a beginning of wisdom from Proverbs, and he's inverting it to hatred of God as a beginning of wisdom. And the fruit of Karl Marx's life? Well, his family life was a disaster. He had seven children by his wife, Jenny, another by his housemate, Helen. So he had eight children. One of his daughters, Eleanor, married Edward Aveling, a Satanist, known for his blasphemous lectures on the wickedness of God and for his poem to Satan. Three of Karl Marx's children starved to death. Five of his children died prematurely. Two of his daughters committed suicide. And his wife also committed suicide. So imagine that. Jenny Marx committed suicide and two of his daughters. He must have been a bundle of laughs to live with. Interestingly enough, Karl Marx wrote, I do not love anyone. I'm entirely comfortable with hatred. He referred to the Slavic people like the Russians as ethnic trash, which is interesting considering the Soviets built an entire edifice of uh, hero worship and thousands of idols of Lenin statues all, and Marx all over the country. And uh, he uh, was worshipped um, throughout the Soviet Union. And yet he said the Russians are ethnic trash and prophesied that their very name will perish. He dismissed Mexicans as lazy, Negroes as frozen at prehistoric levels who will never contribute anything worthwhile to civilization. And yet, how many Mexicans and how many black people idolize and worship Karl Marx? It's, it's very ironic. Uh, Karl Marx wrote, we must destroy the most hallowed obligations when we replace home education with social education. So he wanted to destroy the home, destroy the family, destroy home education, and replace with socialist education. Vladimir Lenin, one of his most devoted uh, followers, disciples, said, atheism is the natural and inseparable part of communism. We must hate. Hatred is the basis of communism. So how does this tally with many of the people in the streets who, who come from Christian families, who come from Christian homes, even have gone through youth groups and churches, been baptized and so on, and some of whom call themselves born again, who are throwing Molotov cocktails, throwing rocks, helping to pull down monuments and statues, and who call themselves Christian socialists, Christian communists, Christian Marxists. According to Vladimir Lenin, one of his slogans was, we fight against God to snatch believers from him. A prominent slogan of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union was, let us drive out the capitalists from the earth and God from heaven. One man who knew communism firsthand was Alexander Solzhenitsyn artillery officer, captain in the Red Army during the Second World War. He was banished for eight years into the hellholes of Siberia to work in the gulags. And uh, he's the one who gave the word gulag uh, to explain what the Soviet concentration camps are like, the 1,200 Soviet death camps, concentration camps under Stalin. And uh, the Gulag Archipelago is one of his books, The Cancer Ward, One Day in Life of Ivan Denisovich, uh, we never make mistakes, quoting from the communist, we never make mistakes because the communist party is God, it's infallible. Uh, so Alexander Solzhenitsyn declared, the world has never before known a godlessness as organized, as militarized, as tenaciously malevolent as that preached by Marxism. Within the philosophical system of Marx and Lenin and at the heart of their psychology, hatred of God is the principle driving force. More fundamental than all their political and economic pretensions, militant atheism is not merely incidental or marginal to communist policy. It is not a side effect. It is the central pivot. To achieve its diabolical ends, communism needs to control a population devoid of religious and national feeling. This entails the destruction of faith and nationhood. Communists proclaim both of these objectives openly and just as openly they put them into practice. That's all a quote from Russian author Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who had suffered for eight years in the concentration camps, one of the greatest Russian authors of the 20th century. And this is the point. The revolution is at its heart malicious, anti-Christian, anti-God, anti-family, anti-life. It is the most destructive force the world has ever seen. And to think that revolution is celebrated in France on the 14th of July as Bastille Day, as, well, May Day in the old Soviet Union, they celebrated by marching the forces of the Red Army past the tomb, the pyramid-like tomb of Vladimir Lenin in um, Red Square, while the Soviet Communist Party Politburo 
st stood on top of the monument uh, below, uh, which was the bones of Lenin. I mean, the symbolism, just absolutely extraordinary. And, uh, of course, in South Africa, it's 16 June, Soweto Day, Youth Day, Uprising Day. And, of course, there's many who would like to have in America all of your national holidays abolished, they've said so, uh, and in Great Britain, and replaced with uh, BLM Day and things like this. Uh, they're wanting to change everything. And so revolution is the only word for it. They want to change your public holidays. They want to pull down all your national heroes and replace them with their own fake heroes. They're trying to replace your education with, uh, in many cases they might have already done so, with an atheistic, dialectical materialism, economic determinism, a philosophy. So those people come along and say that, uh, and uh, this just shows you the mentality of some of these people. One of these Christian Marxists uh, was asked We seem to have lost Peter. We seem to be reconnecting with him. Let me just check this out, folks. Uh, reconnecting. There is a poor network connection. So let's just see if we can uh, get Peter back here. Uh, while we're reconnecting, um, I'm going to quickly mention a couple of uh, New York Times headlines. Uh, this goes back to... April the 30th, 2018, Dr. David Duke covers this one a lot. Happy birthday, Karl Marx, you were right. And uh, then more recently, we've got um, from uh, July the 5th, 2020, only a few days ago, by Nancy Coleman, uh, why we're capitalising black. And what they're going to do is they're going to capitalise the capitalize the word black in relation to black people, but they're not going to capitalise the word white. Uh, they're going to leave that a lowercase. So, uh, again, you're seeing things happening here. So I'm just going to try connecting with Peter again now, and let's hope that we can get through. The person whom you're trying to reach is currently... There you go. So uh, there is a problem here, obviously. Um, sorry about this, folks. I just can't help it. We don't know if there's uh, if it's genuine or if he's being tampered with. Let's uh, give him another try. And uh, just as this is going, I apologise for this annoying noise. But uh, oh, I think we've got Peter Andrew. back. Are you back? You're with me. I am. Uh, we just seem to have lost connectivity there completely for a moment. Yeah, I just ran through a couple of quick uh, headlines um, from the New York uh, Times. Um, uh, and then just to let you know, um, they ran a piece um, a couple of years ago called Happy Birthday, Karl Marx, You Were Right. And then uh, more recently, they're now going to capitalise the term black, but they're not going to capitalise the term white. So uh, if you can remember where you were, I'll hand back to you. So there was talking to this uh, social justice warrior who called himself a Christian Marxist and uh, he was being asked if we are to hold white people accountable for things white people stopped doing 200 years ago, should we be holding black people accountable for what they are doing today, like killing their own babies at a rate of a thousand black babies being murdered by abortion every single day in the United States alone, which, by the way, is more than the ones born. So more than half black babies conceived are killed by abortion. And the response of the social justice warrior was, no, because they're poor. Now, there you see dialectical materialism and economic determinism. You see, uh, the person might claim to be pro-life Christian, but while you, as a wasp, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, male, straight male, you're responsible for something that, that some people 200 years ago might have done, uh, you are not to hold accountable people for what they do now, because of economic determinism. So it's not about race, actually, when you get down to it. It's all about atheism, dialectical materialism, and economic determinism. It's, it's a Marxist dialectic. They're evaluating everything in the light of 
the revolution, what will advance a revolution and what will not advance a revolution. And if you just probe and ask a few questions, you'll quickly see there's no consistency. They don't care about the issues that they talk about. They might use the terms of the workers uh, and of women and of youth and of blacks and of minorities. But if you probe a bit further, you find they don't care about any of them. And in fact, in every case, in every revolution, the very people they claim to be perpetuating this revolution for suffer the most and in fact uh, are vastly worse off after revolution than they were before. And in fact, I defy anyone to point out any Marxist, communist, socialist revolution anywhere in any time of history that ever resulted in a better situation, better economy, a better justice, better rights, better standards of living, or on any level uh, better. In every single case, they promise paradise and they deliver perdition. They offer heaven and they deliver hell. It's a broad way to destruction. So we're dealing with deceived destroyers doomed to destruction. And remember the key thing, which Napoleon Bonaparte pointed out, anarchy leads to tyranny. And the chaos on the streets is a preparation phase for when you get the dictatorship of the proletariat, you get the directorate, the reign of terror, the, the directorate of public safety, whatever they want to call it. Um, for example, a Russian said to me, do you know what KGB uh, stood for in Russian? Translate to English, it's KGB stood for Department of Homeland Security. And it reminds you of George Orwell, who really understood the revolution. I mean, George Orwell did come from a police and propaganda background, and he had worked in the BBC. And uh, when he's thinking of the Ministry of Truth, he was thinking of the BBC because he worked for them at one time. And so uh, the Ministry of Truth deals with lies and propaganda. And the Ministry of Love, they deal with torture. And the Ministry of Peace, they deal with war. And the Ministry of Plenty, they deal with rationing and starvation. And so... He understood Newspeak, the inversion of language, and how that have innocuous-sounding na names for extremely evil organizations. And this is the revolution. If we want to understand revolution, and if we want to understand revolutionaries and their agenda, all we need to do is look at the French and the Bolshevik Revolution. Back over to you, Andrew. Thank you so much, Peter, and uh, thank you for bearing with, with uh, me with the uh, connection. We don't know if it was, uh, as I say, if it was deliberately tampered with or not, but we're delighted to have you back for these final 10 minutes. Uh, I make one quick note, um, and essentially, if you substitute Donald Trump for the Tsar of Russia, and you look at recently, because you talked about how these communists went over and they got control of the Red Army. Well, Trump recently asked his defence secretary to deploy the military and he refused. And so when people think that these comparisons that we make, we might be sort of, you know, fear mongering in a way. Well, all the positions are in place. I mean, the military is not taking orders from the commander-in-chief. And I've said recently, and I stand by this, don't look at what Donald Trump says, look at what he does, because he promised mm -hmm. so much but delivered so little. However, there is a school of thought that says he would have got more done if he hadn't been so opposed. So it's just something that we really, you know, people fall one side of the fence or the other. Was he having us on all along or was he going to do some of it? But he's been blocked from doing it. Um, but it's very precarious when you're in that situation that the uh, military won't, his own defence secretary won't carry out his orders and he's not fired. It goes to show that this guy is already not seeming to be in control, Peter, and how precarious the American situation is that could just flip overnight to communism. Your, your thoughts? Yes, uh, that's that's an important observation. I mean, bear in mind that while the Tsar in Russia was an absolute ruler, they claimed, yet he did have a Duma, he did have a parliament, and uh, he had advisors who sometimes advised him otherwise, and there were times that he felt he couldn't go against his advisors, and other times that he, he felt he had to obey the Duma, and ultimately the Tsar of Russia abdicated because of a demand from the Duma, from the parliament. So this business of him being an absolute ruler, even though he is apparently one of the most absolute rulers at that time, but his absolute rule was not absolute. And when it comes to the United States of America, the president of America is not a dictator. There's a lot of checks and balances, and thank God there are, because in a time of Obama, he would have caused far more damage if there hadn't been checks and balances of, of 
local governor's jurisdiction and the upper house and the lower house and uh, the Supreme Court. And uh, for all their weaknesses, it's when power's diffused, it's much better. I would have much preferred a confederation of, of states than the United States, uh, which, of course, what the original founding fathers had in mind. And I'd say that Switzerland's form of, of a Canton system of complete decentralization is vastly superior. So, yes, I think people need to bear in mind the president of the United States is not a dictator. And there are checks and balances, and there is a deep state. And there really is a obvious, massive conspiracy to undermine his, his work. Uh, and uh, I, I do think that his natural instincts are quite good. I do think he is extremely ill-advised by his uh, son-in-law. Uh, this uh, Kushner is, is, is very bad news. And uh, uh, he drags him off into a leftist direction. And Donald Trump has described him as a leftist in public too, which he is. He is, he is a, a very left-wing and, and liberal. So it's sad that he's listening to an advisor like that because it seems from his speeches that Donald Trump is uh, at his heart and soul a conservative. And he's got a lot of good ideas you can see that he doesn't get to put them all into place. Now, of course, he's responsible for what's within his power. But let's just be fair. Uh, none of us have all the power to do all that we would like to do. And unfortunately, uh, while a president of a large country like America has got a lot more power than we have, uh, he is not all powerful and he has limitations. And some of those limitations are good and constitutional. And other of those limitations are subversive elements within his administration who are trying to sabotage everything he does. So, uh, yeah, let, let's let's be fair and balanced about it and realize there's no one-shot solution to any problem. It's multiplicity. And to me, let's also get out of the idea that the main solution to our problems is to change who's the president or the prime minister or the ruling party. To me, far more significant is what the communists do, which is they say, the five culture-carrying institutions of Saudi Arabia, education, entertainment, news media, religious institutions, political institutions, that's most important because what's going on in America is not because primarily Obama or Clinton. It's primarily because of the education system set up by John Dewey and Karl Marx's philosophies and because of dialectical materialism and the evolutionary situation and situation ethics. And so uh, the classroom, the philosophy of the education system in the classroom in this generation inevitably becomes a philosophy of government in the next generation. So I'm far more concerned about the education we're receiving, the textbooks and the teachers, uh, the entertainment, the, the news media, uh, that we are going to alternatives and that we are countering the disinformation and the uh, propaganda in the media today and, and supporting alternatives and being highly critical of what comes from the Bolshevik Broadcasting Corporation, the Clinton News Network and Slime Magazine. So um, it's it's not a matter that one election can solve your problem, as you saw with the Brexit vote. You, you've got a whole layer of things. That's why revival and reformation and home education and uh, alternative media sources are vital parts of bringing a country back and resisting the revolution. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you so much, Peter. And obviously the power of faith as well um, that Peter was alluding to there. I mean, I firmly believe that we're in the situation that we're in because our nations, not us or many of you listening, have turned from God and they've disobeyed God. And you look at all the things that they promote that are in direct disobedience to God. We've even got people in America saying that they're going to have to take down any uh, depictions of Jesus Christ because they're racist. I mean, what do you think God <laughs> thinks about that? Uh, and these are the sort of things. That, and again, the same thing happened. Uh, we've only got two, three minutes left. But um, Peter, one thing that... Uh, you know, Putin, I tend to err on the side of that I think that he's doing good things over there. There's a big revival of uh, lots of Christian churches being built. And, of course, that's something the communists, the communists did. They tore down the Christian churches, burned them even with the people inside. Um, we know about. Uh, but uh, he's never been able to get rid of that uh, tomb of Lenin. And, of course, Lenin was uh, one of the most antichrist people ever. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yes, I, I agree. I think a lot of the people who are hostile to, to Putin today are not hostile because he used to be in the KGB and so on. It's because he's pro-family, pro-life, brought in legislation against pornography, 
brought in legislation for stronger families to stop uh, the gay GB and the pink inquisition and um, gays adopting uh, children from Russia and things like this. And so plainly it's because of his pro-family uh, stance that he's getting most of his opposition. And you can see a tremendous rebirth of freedom and building of churches in Russia. So let's focus on what we can do. And uh, uh, plainly, all of us should be involved in propagating truth, understanding the times, knowing the books, promoting books like Robespierre inside the French Revolution. You can still trust the communists be communists, but David Noble, Agenda, Masters of Deceit videos, uh, the alternative news media programs such as yours, which is so vital, and uh, making sure we don't waste our time and allow the uh, whole mainstream media to brainwash us. So let's focus on what we can do on the grassroots for truth and for faith. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you so much, Peter. And uh, the, the situation looks very bleak. I mean, obviously, the election's coming up in America later in the year. Um, there's talk that this could all be postal ballots, in which case we know it will be rigged. And you'll have a Democrat in there, which will basically be a communist. And so your free speech will go very, very shortly thereafter. And then I believe that they will come for the Christians and the patriots and the whites. Alternatively, if Trump does manage to get back in, then the riots that you've seen throughout America are going to look like a child's birthday party compared to what they would have lined up. So that's why I see the situation over there as remarkably bleak at the moment. And I pray every day for uh, God's salvation in this and God's you know, involvement to stop all these things going on because I don't see any political solution to our problems. You know, if, as I say, if Trump gets mm. back in, gets back in, we know that what's going to happen. Uh, and if the Democrats get in, we know what's going to happen. In the UK, I mean, think you're bad where you are. Look at uh, what Peter has to suffer in South Africa. We recently had uh, the uh, Foreign Secretary and the Prime Minister in the UK say that they're prepared to open uh, Britain up to up to three million people from Hong Kong because they believe that they're being persecuted for their views. But they were never keen to open up to the whites from South Africa who are being openly slaughtered and the farm murders and all that that we've covered on these shows so often. Uh, but what's the difference? Well, because they don't want to help white people, but they'll help non-white people. Peter, we've got 30 seconds left. Can you please let people know how they can follow your work and contact you? Certainly. My email is peter at frontline.org.za. Peter at frontline.org.za. And uh, our website, www.frontlinemissionsa.org. Frontlinemissionsa.org. And you'll find Frontline Fellowship and myself, Peter Hammond, on Facebook. So look forward to communicating with any of you who are interested. And don't get discouraged. Fight the good fight of faith. Uh, the truth will set you free. We don't need to be afraid of them. God has not given us spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Thank you so much, Peter. Fantastic information as always. I want to uh, let you all know that Peter will be back again in a couple of weeks' time. And uh, I want to thank everyone for listening. I hope you enjoyed the information today. Apologies for the technical issues. They're out of our control. But I'll be back with you all tomorrow. Until then, folks, bye for now.